visited us today. We ask, Father, that your spirit would do his work in our hearts to draw us near to the cross. That we would worship you in spirit and in truth. That we would engage with you. That, Father, we would engage with the God who has revealed himself and not some God that we've made up in our own minds. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. We are desperate people. We need to hear from you. May your name be made great. And may you do your good work in your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I was sitting at the dinner table, uh, breakfast table with my my family, my brother and my sister and um, mom and dad. (coughs) And as we were talking... Um, we were having a conversation about the nature of God, which is something you always talk about at the breakfast table, right? But as we were talking, um, we, we got to talking about aspects of God's character that he's revealed to us, but it can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, specifically in the area of God's sovereignty uh, as it relates to our free will. And so in that conversation, I remember my, my brother's a good man, um, but my brother looked and said, but Neil, my God is not like that. My God is a God of love. Now, I didn't argue because that's an aspect of God's heart, isn't it? That God is a God of love. That's not all God is. That God has revealed himself in layer upon layer of who he is and what he's about. And that he's much bigger than sometimes we want to make him out to be. And, and, I, and I think that I am just like my brother. Sorry about that. I am just like my brother. You and I are the same. Because oftentimes we want to make God into our image. Or at least an image that we can deal with and we can, we can handle And we don't like to deal with the aspects that God has revealed about himself that we don't understand or that make us feel uncomfortable. And this is a passage, I think, that does that. And I think the Jews dealt with the same issue in this particular passage. Now, before we read, and we'll we'll be spending time today in John 12, starting in verse 37 and going through the end of the chapter, verse 50. Now, let me give a background of this. So we've seen... (coughs) We've seen Jesus um, throughout um, John. He begins, John begins his revelation of Jesus by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. At the very beginning, John says, Make no mistake about it, Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah is God. He has revealed himself to us. And then throughout the book of John, Jesus is validating or or clarifying that message through his words. But he's validating it through his acts, his deeds, his work. And around chapter 8, this begins to make make the Pharisees, the religious rulers of his day, very nervous. Not only very nervous, very angry to the point... And when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. 
making himself out to be Yahweh. And the, and the Jews took up stones to stone him. From that point on, their intent was very clear. We have got to eliminate this man. We will kill this man. Just as Jesus is running straight toward the cross, these men are running straight toward assassination. That's what they're doing. And so we see that throughout. Not only are they willing to kill Jesus, but they even want to kill Lazarus because Lazarus validates his authority. And so in this time, we see Jesus appearing in John 12 as he enters into Jerusalem. And as he enters in, what do they do? What do the people do? The people crowd into the city. And, and this is during the Feast of Dedication. And they are laying down palm branches in front of Jesus singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The king of, here's what they're saying. The king of Israel has arrived. Now, it's interesting that they're doing this because the, the feast of dedication is, is what they would celebrate today as, as Hanukkah. Okay? And it celebrates 200 years before when Antiochus, who is part of the Seleucid uh, reign, who was part of the reign of Alexander the Great that took, took rule. When Alexander conquered the world, at the end he divided his empire up among his generals. And the part that is now Palestine was ruled by the Seleucid family. Okay? And so Antiochus IV, who was a Hellenizer, who, who basically wanted to take the, the values of Greece and implant it everywhere he went, sacrificed a pig at the altar in the temple to Zeus to declare that Greece reigns here, not God. And as a result of that, Maccabees, Judah Maccabees, who is son of one of the priests, raised up a rebellion against Antiochus and the Seleucid uh, dynasty. And they defeated, in, in, a, in, several, in several various battles, they defeated the Seleucid dynasty. And that gained for them a measure of independence and, and religious freedom. And as a result of that, the people, when, when Judah Maccabees came back into Jerusalem, what did they do? They did exactly what they did for Jesus in, in chapter 12. They laid down palm branches in front of the returning armies who defeated the enemy. And they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be he, he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, they're repeating Psalm 118. The return of the king. And that's what they're doing to Jesus in John 12. But something is wrong. Jesus comes as a sign of Zechariah 6. Jesus comes not on a steed, not on a stallion, not as a political general ruler, but he comes and he specifically chooses a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey, to reveal an, a nature of God, which is the servant, the the humble servant coming into the king or coming into Jerusalem. That's what he's revealing. That's what he's revealing. And guess what? They didn't like that. 
They're just like us. They're just like us. And go, that's not what I anticipated. That's not what I was longing for, Jesus. I want you to come as a ruler because I want you to give us political freedom against the Romans. Kick the Romans out. That's the Savior we want. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. My reign is going to be different. And that's where we come into this chapter, this part of the chapter, is that they want a political ruler. And Jesus comes to become a deliverer, not of Roman, but a much greater deliverer, a deliverer of the slavery of sin and shame. That's the king that's coming to rule. Now, let's not take away aspects of Jesus that he is as well. And we're going to see this in a minute. Jesus comes to this earth, and we'll see it in the latter part of this chapter. He comes to this earth not as a political ruler, but as a servant. Submitted to the Father's will. He did not come to judge. But guys, he comes as a lamb in this passage. But one day, he will come as a lion of Judah. The king of kings. The lord of lords. He is all of that. He is both. And we'll see this in this passage. So let us read from God's word. John 12, 37. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. I think you guys would like for me not to spit into the microphone. And though he had done so many, th- done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even uh, of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out from the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes me, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into this world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come into the world to judge, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandments is eternal life. That I'm a, that what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Guys, I have to, I have to um, 
say that this is a difficult passage for me. This is a difficult passage because it says some things that are hard for us to understand. Okay? So let's read in, in the very first part. Again, we have seen Jesus do all these remarkable things. In fact, John 21 says there, there were so many other things that we could have written, but we wrote these things so that you would believe. We only, we only listed these things, but it was in order that you believe. And yet it says that even, even regardless of all the works that Jesus did, what? They did not believe. They turned. In verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. Why, in light of all that he has done, would they not believe? The words and the works of Jesus were evident. Let's go back in in the words. You remember in, in John 7, 46, the Pharisees are sending out officials to take him and bring him back to the Pharisees, to judge him, to condemn him. And they come back empty-handed, and the Pharisee says, Where is he? Their response was, okay, so he, they said, Why did you not bring him back? Their response, guys, was this. No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. When he spoke in the temple, I think it was in either Matthew or Mark, I think it was Mark, and he puts down Isaiah, and, and, the, and the people were amazed at the words of Jesus because he spoke with authority, not as the Pharisees, not as the rulers. Jesus spoke, and people came because, as, as Peter says, when, when everybody leaves, and Jesus says, are you going to leave too? And Peter stands up and says, where are we going to go? To whom are we going to follow? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. You feed our soul because God has made us to worship Him. So throughout Jesus' public ministry, people are amazed at His authority. They're amazed at His wisdom. It's not, this is not a typical man. And they flock to that. They're hungry for that. They're aspects that attract them to the King. But it wasn't just His words but he validates his words through his works. In John 2, we said this earlier, he turns water into wine. So Jesus has command over the very elements, the very molecules of his creation. We see in John 4, he, hear, he heals the royal official son, by, and he doesn't even go and... It's, he can't even, we can't even explain it by saying that maybe he had some additional thing that he gave him. He spoke... And the official says, all you have to do is speak. I know that you are one with authority. You don't have to come to my home to heal my son. All you have to do is speak, and he will obey. And guess what? Jesus speaks, and his son is healed at the same time that Jesus speaks. He has authority over sickness. He heals the paralyzed man by the pool. The man has been there for years and years and years. And he speaks and says, take up your mat and walk. And the man walks. No one's ever done that. He feeds 5,000. He takes a few loaves of bread and some fish and he feeds a multitude. 
to the point where they want to make him king by force. And he has to go across the, the lake to the other side. In that same chapter, he walks on the water. Even his own men can't believe this. He's, in, in, in another gospel, he says, during the storm, he speaks. He says, shut up. And the, and the elements shut up. The wind stops, the rain stops, and everything is still. The Creator spoke. The same Creator. He spoke, and the stars were hurled out into the creation, into the universe. Jesus speaks, and everything stops. We see him heal a man born blind, that they cannot figure out what this is. No one has ever done this. And then he tops it off at the end when he raises Lazarus from the dead and he makes sure that nobody can mistake his power when he waits four days before he says it. There is no question. This man has authority that no one else has ever had. And yet, they do not believe. They do not believe. Why? Well, he says this in the next passage. The people who were given the promises of God, the people who were given the law of God, the custodians of the covenant, have rejected him. We see it in John 1. And it says, He was in the world and the world was made through him. Think about that. He comes to this world that he spoke and created. These people that he formed and created. And he came to this world that was made through him and yet this world did not know him. He came to his own people. Came to his own his own people and they did not receive him. He was rejected. Failure. Why? Well, John gives us an idea about this in 38. He says they did not believe, and this is hard, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And he quotes Isaiah 53. Lord, who has believed what has been heard from us? Who has believed the words, the message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The power. So he's talking about the message and the power that has been revealed. And what he's saying is no one, no one, they have rejected it. And let's go to Isaiah 52 when he gives us this great picture of an aspect of who God is. And we'll start in 53, or 52 and go to 53. It says in, in verse 13, it says, Behold, my servant will act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. We hear that again. We hear that in, the next, in this passage. He will be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind so that he's... So uh, he shall sprinkle many nations. And really it says, so he may startle many nations. So that kings will go, 
can't believe. This suffering servant is beyond recognition. He doesn't even look human. When Isaiah sees him, he, he doesn't even look human. Children will gasp. Mothers will turn their faces of their children away. Kings will cover their mouth and be startled because of the horrendous condition of the servant. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. And then he says what is quoted in Isaiah here in John. Who has believed what he has served from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before them like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteem him not. God reveals himself as a suffering servant, an aspect of his character, and they did not want that God. They did not want him. They rejected it. That's not the only aspect of God they rejected. could not believe because they could not handle this revelation of the Father. And therefore they could not believe. So first it says they would not believe. And then in Isaiah, the next verse in verse 39 says, and they could not believe. Why? Why could they not believe? It says, for again Isaiah says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and and I would heal them. Wow. Why do they not believe? He will not allow them to believe. He has hardened their heart. He has blinded them. He has made them deaf. So they cannot believe. He's quoting Isaiah 6. What Steve had, had, uh, had done earlier. And he says in verse 1. And this is Isaiah. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each with six wings, two covered their face and two covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the response of Isaiah is in verse 8, and he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, and actually before that, he falls down and he worships as a dead man. The glory is so great that Isaiah falls. He understands how wicked he is. He understands how, how poor in spirit he is. And he falls down before the Lord because of his glory and his power. And in verse 8 it says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing. Okay? This is what Isaiah is quoting in John. 
Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eye and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, but how long, O Lord? And he said, so Isaiah has a message that's negative. He sees the glory of the Lord and God is sending him out to be the messenger. And he says, how long am I going to do this? I can endure this for a while, but how long, O Lord? And God says, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. That's terrible. That would be like God saying, send a messenger to Chilton County. Remind them how great I am and how hard their hearts are. How long, O Lord, before they repent and believe? How long will I be given this message? Until Clanton, Urbina, Forsby, Maplesville, and Jemison are laid waste. And the buzzards fly. Peach orchards are dead. That's how long. That's how long. Before we go, gosh, God is so harsh. And I'll be honest with you, as I read this passage, I have to be careful because the evil one whispers in my ear, did God really say? God says this because He's not good. Just like the serpent in the garden. And I go, God, are you good? Why would you say this? Why would you harden their hearts so that they would not believe? That seems harsh. And I judge God. I judge His character. Because I raise up man and glorify man and I want to bring down God. This is hard. This is hard. How does God do this? And I think unless we look and say, where, who is he speaking to? And is this just? We go back to the beginning. God creating man. Immediately man rebelling against him. Questioning his goodness and listening to the evil one. Within a generation, murder has happened. And even with this people that he has raised up to be his own people, he calls them out of Egypt. He protects their patriarchs. He, call, he brings them close by. Even when they sin, they do crazy, stupid things. He loves them as his own. They are, they are, he says they are stubborn, they are stiff-necked, and unbelieving people. Have been the entire time. They have been this way since the beginning. The same Pharisees that are rejecting Jesus are just like their great, 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 great grandfathers. 
They rejected God, Yahweh. They never have wanted a suffering servant. They never have wanted a king. They wanted their own way, and they want to do what is right in their own eyes, just like you and just like me. That nation was full of deceit, like Jacob. They were self-serving, like priests throughout the Old Testament. They were unbelieving when God wanted to give them the promised land. They said, no, we do not believe that you can do that. We would rather go back to Egypt. And they spent 40 years in the desert and died there in a wasteland. They were quick to run to idols. They were quick to run after men. We don't want you to be God. We don't want you to be our king. We'd rather have a man to be our king, just like Saul. And guess what that did for them? They were quick to disgrace the priestly office. Eli's sons rebelled against God and, and brought down strange fire. They were cruel. The tribe of Benjamin took a visitor to their city and raped the daughter. And were going to rape him, the father. These are not good people. These are not pure. These are not morally right people. They were murderous. Even the men who were called after the name of God. David, murdering. Because of the lust of his heart. They were incestuous. Amnon raped his daughter Tamar. David's own son Absalom rebelled against his father and led a rebellion to the nation that led to murder and shame. They were greedy and negligent. The priest of Ezekiel, God rebukes him and says, you feed on the fat and you starve the people. They have never, ever sought Yahweh's face. In this last condemnation by Jesus, where he says, enough. I will harden their hearts and I will deafen their ears so that the nations may know and that my glory may be found out. And Isaiah says, in verse 44, in verse 41, it says, Isaiah said these things because what? He saw the glory. He saw the glory and spoke of him, Jesus. In Isaiah 6, who is the man, the, the king whose robe fills the room? It's Jesus. It's the pre-incarnate Jesus. We see this in John 17 when and we'll, we'll get done quick, guys. I apologize. In John 17, 4 and 5, it says, I glorified you. And this is Jesus talking to his Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory, what? That I had with you before the world existed. When Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord, and the power and the majesty of the throne. He's seeing Jesus. That's who he's seeing. In John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Jesus has made the Father known. And so, guys, when He goes and He says in the latter part of this chapter, when He says, why have they, rebe- why have they not believed? Because I will not let them believe because of my righteous judgment on a rebellious people. And then he reveals the root of that rebellion when he says, nevertheless, many of the authorities, even the authorities believed in him. But what? For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that he would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? Because they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's the root. That's the root of rebellion. God, I would rather live my life for the approval of men. I want you to think well of me more and hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're just like them. Outside of God's grace. We're just like him. And yet, out of Israel, God redeems some. He redeems some so that you and I may know the truth. He's redeemed us. The same sovereign God who has power over belief and can harden men's hearts also drives deep in our soul and gives us his sovereign over our belief. And he takes a young man, 16 years old, who is flying away from him and he captures him in 1980. Not anything of my own. He captures him. Throughout the rest of this passage, as we close up, Jesus says, if you have seen, we'll read it real quick. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. If you're not believing in me, Pharisees, if you're not believing in me, people, you're believing in Yahweh. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me, Yahweh. I've come into the world as a light. What? To reveal the heart of God. The aspects, the multilayering of the character and the attributes of God. And if you reject me, you reject God. There is no clear picture. The reason Jesus came is to reveal the Father. To reveal who He is. So that when we see Jesus, if you have a problem with Jesus... He's too weak for you. And you've rejected the Father. He's not strong enough. And that's what these men say. We don't want a suffering servant. We want a man. We want a man that can lead us. They reject him. We don't want some governing authority over us. We want freedom. And they reject him. We don't want a king. We want us. We want to be kings. Happened in the garden. 
It happened in Babylon. It happens today in our own country. So lest we be foolish, lest we run after men, lest we live and waste our lives seeking the approval of men and women in our life, let us repent and let our eyes see Let our ears be unclogged and hear so that our hearts may understand the glory of the Lord. And fall down like Isaiah and say, Woe is me. And yet be cleansed all the way to the core. Be cleansed and made white. Not because of our self-righteousness, but because of the mighty glory of the Father. To Him be praised. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Forgive me for being long-winded. Lord, may you reveal yourself to us. May we see you face to face. As Job said, I heard you with my ears, now I see you with my eyes. And may we be like Isaiah and be amazed at your glory and be enamored by who you are. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.